Second Chronicles, chapter 7, very familiar portion of Scripture, but we're emphasizing one aspect of it. Second Chronicles 7.14, it says, God is speaking here. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Of course, he's talking to King Solomon. God is talking to him, answering his prayer and supplication concerning the whole nation of, of Israel. And uh, the Lord is telling him that if there is a, uh, a problem of, uh, if you go back and read the previous verses, if there's a problem of enemy attacking, if there's a problem of famine, drought in the land, if there's a problem of pestilence. Now I realize sometimes folk are not used to that old English word there, but when he says pestilence, he's not talking about a pest like a bug or whatever. Pestilence, if you look up the word, it means plagues, diseases sweeping through the land. When the Bible says pestilence, it's talking about plagues and disease, sickness. And he said in this next verse, if his people, if those things are happening in their lives, famine, drought, attack of the enemy, sickness and disease, whatever, he said, if my people that are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, make changes, I'll hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sin, I will heal their land. So we know that he's talking about healing here, and we know he's talking about physical healing because he mentioned physical problems, pestilence, or plagues. So there's healing in this verse. Is that right? And we could, you could take this verse and you could talk about a lot of things. You could talk about seeking God. You could talk about prayer. You could talk about repentance. You could talk about how God hears and forgives. But we're talking primarily about healing from this verse. And, and we're talking about our responsibility. And I wanted you to notice again and again here, each day we've noticed it again and again, how that the first thing he mentioned to his people was what? To be humble, to humble themselves. I think sometimes people miss that. They skip over that. They go to the prayer. To the seeking God. To the making confessions. To the laying on of hands. To the anointing of oil. To the prayer of agreement. And they miss the humble part. But the first thing he told, told them is, is humble yourself. Then he said pray. Seek my face. You understand that you can pray and pray. But if your heart's not right. You don't get results. You can go through the motions of seeking God and making confessions, but if your heart's not right, you won't contact Him. You see, God is a spirit. The Bible talking about worship, it said those that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. That phrase, in truth, has an implication of sincerity and that which is devoid of falsehood or pretension. If there's one thing we need to know about, about the Lord is that He is very real. He is the God of truth. The Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And God hates a lie. And therefore, He hates anything that's false. And I tell you, if there's the least bit of pretension or falsehood about you when you go to pray or you go to worship God, it's going to be a barrier between you and the Lord. 
And depending on how much falsehood and pretension there is there, then it'll be that much of a hindrance in your relationship with God. The Lord said in the Psalms, he said, the proud he knows are far off. But he talked about he was closer near to those that are humble and contrite in heart. We talked about from James, the fourth chapter. You'll also see it in 1 Peter, the fifth chapter, where he said that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We talked about that if it's healing or the meeting of a financial material need, the getting of direction, uh, help, grace for ministry, grace for life, grace for marriage, grace for relationships, don't care what it is, uh, you know, to be successful and to be victorious, you must have God's grace. Amen. So many, so many times we put all the emphasis on our faith, but you must understand that you wouldn't even know about faith if it wasn't for God's grace. And you couldn't have faith except for God's grace. Amen. Yes, we do have the responsibility of believing God. But, uh, you know, it's only by His grace that we're able to see and know and understand and appropriate and walk with Him and receive from Him. And so uh, I've said to you that after working in healing school for several years now, that we've seen again and again such a tremendous connection between humility and healing. Humility and healing. The person that's able to humble themselves quickly and to humble themselves greatly, that person uh, is able to receive quickly. To see what they need to see. To make the changes they need to make. And to receive and appropriate the blessing of God. But pride can be such a hindrance to grace. Pride can be such a hindrance to you seeing what you need to see. Hearing what you need to hear. Notice over in the 13th chapter of Matthew, if you would. Matthew chapter 13. How many believe in God with me today? Man, I got a lot of things on my heart to share with you today. And I don't want to keep you too long, because we've got a lot going on. But uh, some of you just in church virtually all day, you know. But you can't get too much of God, can you? And if the Lord's in it, He'll refresh us, amen, as we go. I really want you to stir up your heart to hear this afternoon, even more so than usual, because... Uh, Got some things that, that unless the Lord gives us liberty to share, can't share. Unless, unless the Lord gives us the utterance to, to share, just won't be able to. But I got some things in my heart if you'd believe God with me, all right? Yeah. You understand what, how good of a service we have, whether it's me ministering or whoever's ministering. You know, how good of a service we have is not just dependent on the minister. It's only partly dependent on the minister. You know, utterance is greatly affected by the hearer. Greatly affected. Over in Matthew 13, verse 15. 13, 15. The writer says this, quoting from the uh, book of Isaiah. And you know, something interesting about this verse that he's quoting that's recorded here in Isaiah. This verse, this verse that he's quoting appears in Isaiah Ezekiel, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, and 2 Corinthians. But anything that shows up in the Word of God that frequently must be important. You know, Isaiah said it, and then it's quoted again and again and again throughout the Word of God. 
What is it? This is this verse, verse 15. For this people's heart is waxed gross. Now that's a little blind to us. What does waxed gross mean? You know, really, if you, if you look up some of these phrases and study it, it has the connotation of being thick and fat. Thick and fat and unfeeling. Dull. Are you listening? A thickness of flesh that can have application in many different areas. This people's heart is waxed gross, thick, dull, insensitive. Their ears are dull of hearing. See, the rest of the portion shows you that that's what he's talking about. Their ears are dull of hearing. Their eyes, they have closed, or their eyes are heavy, as one translation would say. Lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. Now, this is definitely talking about healing, isn't it? Do you understand that, that some great keys to healing or being healed is that you're able to see what you need to see. And you can hear what you need to hear. Amen. Sensitive to the teaching and correction and leading of the Holy Spirit so that you can be converted. You might say, well, I've already been converted. Well, hey, conversion goes on through life. See, what does it mean to be converted? To be converted means that you're, you're changed or that you turn from one thing to another. You, you make some adjustments. You make some changes. How many know that even after you get saved, after you get filled with the Spirit, after you've grown for ever how long, you still need to make adjustments and changes through life to keep growing and keep developing? To say that you never need to make any changes is to assume that you've arrived, that you're perfect in every way, have no room to develop or grow. Well, I don't think we have anybody in here like that today. So that means that we all, as we go, we will need to be making some changes, some adjustments. We'll be, there'll be some converting. But before you can make those changes, you have to see. And you have to hear. Is that right? I teach a message concerning healing. I call it this, the change factor. The change factor. How big of a factor being able to change is in being able to receive from God. See, so many times people don't realize they want changes in their pocketbook. They want changes in their body. They want changes in a relationship. They want changes in their career, or their job, or their ministry, whatever. They want outward changes. But we've got to realize the principle that things happen first in the spirit, then they happen in the natural. You plant seed and things happen under the ground where you can't see it. Then things develop and blossom and flourish above ground where you can see it. And if you want changes outside, guess what? There's got to be changes first inside. And so many times people don't, they don't think like that though. They just work on changes outside, changes outside, and they never look about any changes that need to be made in the heart, in the soul, in the mind. You understand? 
Just, it's just a, just a, a principle that if you want changes outwardly, there look to make changes inwardly. And once changes are made in the spirit, once changes are made inside of you, then those changes are going to affect changes outside. Amen. And then you can see what that's what he's saying when he said, you know, if they could see with their eyes and if they could hear with their ears, they could if they could understand with their heart, then they could be converted. They could make the changes and I would heal them. Amen. Glory to God. Do you understand? I think sometimes charismatics and word and faith folks, so-called, have not seen some of these things. Some people leave the impression that all there is to being healed is making confessions. Well, that's important. We teach on confession strong. It's very important. But that's not like making a confession is not all there is to life. You understand? Your heart, your attitudes, your thinking, your lifestyle. Right? You can't just ignore all these things. And oftentimes changes need to be made. Adjustments need to be made. You ever had to make any adjustments since you started walking with God? I have. You know what I'm saying? Oh, dear Lord. And I know I'm going to have to make a lot more adjustments. As I follow the Lord, if I'm going to grow with Him and, and develop in Him, i got to make changes. I don't know everything. You don't know everything. And uh, as we learn things, oftentimes the light that we get shows up darkness and ignorance that we were in. And we realize, hey, what I thought was wrong. The way I thought it was, that's not the way it is. The way I've been doing it, that's not the proper way. And then it's time for a change. Right? So let's, let's make the change. Well, humility enables you to make the changes. Pride hinders you from making changes. The more humble you are, the more correctable you are. And the more teachable you are, the more proud you are, the less teachable you are, the less receptive you are to even a suggestion that you might need to make a change. You know, many folk are so full of pride that at the slightest hint that they might need to make some adjustment, they become offended. What are you trying to say? Are you implying that I need to uh, ch ch change? Yes, I'm afraid so. All of us should be constantly making adjustments. Amen? Because we have not arrived. We don't know it all. We should have a humble, teachable Correctable spirit, ready to change. Amen. When we see we need to change, ready to change. Amen. And by God's grace, change. The Bible said, you know, as we behold him, we're changed. Amen. It doesn't happen all at once. It doesn't happen just one great, big, tremendous change. And we go from being very, very carnal to being 100% Christ-like. We're changed how? From glory to glory.
It is a process, isn't it? We're developing and growing in Him. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I, I'm thoroughly committed and fully expect and intend to, you know, if the Lord tears His coming next year this time, to sound more like Jesus than I do now. To act more like Him by then than I do now. You understand? And to grow and develop every year, and every month, and every week, and every day by His grace. So that we walk more like Him. You know our objective is to be just exactly like Him. That's the high goal and the high call. That we've, we've been called to. Jesus at the end of His earth walk. He told His disciples. He said if you've seen me. You've seen the Father. That's what we're called to. You know. Somebody said that's too high. I didn't say it. We're called to walk in such a way. That we could say. If you've seen me. You've seen the Lord. Somebody said, dear God, that's too high. I didn't say it. First John 2, 6. Remember that? He said, he that says he abides in him. Are you in him? Are you claiming to abide in him? He said, he that says he abideth in him ought himself so to walk even as he walked. That's what he said. Well, like Paul, we can say, I don't count myself to have already apprehended. But this one thing I do, forgetting the things that are behind, looking and pressing forward to those things that are before. Amen. I'm reaching. I'm pressing for that mark, for that prize, that high call in Christ Jesus. What is it? It's being just like him. That's the high call. That's the mark. That's the prize. Being just like him. Amen. Don't choke on it. Just move toward it. Amen. And I think for sure that all of us, even folk that have been walking with the Lord for decades, all of us have room to become more like Him. So that means changes. Right? You know, the Bible talked about this. It said to open the Psalms. We won't quote all the references or go there or turn them. But in the Psalms, a couple of different places. One, it said, the humble shall hear... And be glad. Another place said the humble shall see and be glad. The humble see and the humble hear. Over in Daniel, the Bible said that one of the kings there, I believe it was Nebuchadnezzar, said his mind was hardened because of his pride. We've already quoted from Obadiah where it said that the pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. I think you can see from just a few scriptures, pride has a hardening, dulling, blinding, deafening, desensitizing effect on you. Whereas humility will open you up to be more sensitive, to be, have more sight, to see more, to hear more, to have a mind that is more receptive to receive. The prouder you are, the duller you are. The blinder and the deafer you are. The more humble you are, the clearer you can see, the better you can hear, the better and quicker you are to understand. See? Amen. How many want to see with your eyes, hear with your ears, understand with your heart, and be converted and make any changes? He said, if you do, he said, I will heal you. I will heal you.
Now that certainly has application to physical healing, but it has much broader application too, doesn't it? God can heal situations that are a mess in your life. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. What did he say he would do to those that humble themselves under the mighty hand of God? He'll exalt you. Do you know that healing is referred to as being raised up? You thought about that? Remember James 5, 14 and 15, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let him pray over him, anointing him with all in the prayer of faith to save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. See, when you're sick, when you're afflicted, you're brought low. When you're healed and delivered and blessed, you're raised up. And didn't Jesus say on more than one occasion that those that exalt themselves, they'll be abased. They'll be brought down. They'll be brought low. What about the person that humbles themselves? They'll be exalted. They'll be lifted up. Part of that lifting up is being healed from problems. Amen. When God heals you, He lifts you up. When God heals you, He's shown you His grace. Who gets the grace? Who gets lifted up? Who sees and hears and understands? The humble. The humble. You should be even stirred up about being humble. We've studied this week cases of people who humble themselves and received healing. We studied the Syrophoenician woman over in Matthew 15. We saw how that she humbled herself and got her healing. How a lot of folk wouldn't have, wouldn't have made it through the areas she made it through. They would not have been able to humble themselves and receive. A lot of folk, you know, they're going to tell people their mind. They're going to have their say. They're going to have it their way. And they're going to stomp off feeling like, well, I told them. that stomp off without the blessing. But she didn't. She humbled herself. She left with the healing for her daughter and deliverance that she came for. We talked about Naaman yesterday. How that he almost missed his healing. Man, he was so close to missing it. Because he got so mad. And we talked about how that anger is oftentimes a manifestation of pride. Pride. And how though that he was able to finally humble himself and go do what God told him to and dip in the muddy river and came healed. His leprous flesh was turned miraculously like the flesh of a little child, the Bible said. Healed, healed, healed. But I want to talk to you today. About an individual, there has been worldwide, generation to generation controversy over. And that is Job. <laughs> and with our limited time, I almost hesitate to, to broach it. But by the grace of God, we will. Amen. Amen. You know, it's amazing that I've, I've taught in healing school, worked with healing school, I should say, uh, for 10 years now. I've taught, I teach course in the uh, Bible school on, on healing. And from the very beginning of my ministry, and I'm, I'm, my ministry is relatively young, I've just healing, healing, healing. Healing in the morning, healing in the afternoon, healing when the sun goes down. <laughs> and a wonderful thing about it, I've been, re- I've been really healed for years, too. I mean, what I'm talking about, you know, I've enjoyed good health. That's one of the benefits, teaching and preaching healing all the time. You get to hear it all the time. And if you'll believe it and live by what you preach. Somebody say, well, I preach healing all the time. Yeah, I said, if you'll believe it and practice what you preach, then you can enjoy it too. 
There's a lot of ministers, they preach one thing, but they don't practice what they preach. And then they act confused when they're having troubles. Well, I don't understand. I have people healed in my ministry. I preach, I teach. Well, listen, friend. Preachers and teachers may be specially anointed to teach and preach, but we are not especially anointed to live it. You've got to live it just like anybody else. God's no respect of persons. Yeah, but boy, the anointing comes on me strong, and I minister to people, and, and they get healed, and then i got this problem. Hey, that anointing for, for ministry is to minister to others. You're going to have to believe God just like anybody else. You understand? And you're going to have to walk in love and forgive and forget and humble yourself and receive. <laughs> you know, years ago I was holding a healing seminar in another state. And I opened one, one day I opened it up for questions and took some questions and I took so many, I had folk write them, write them down and took a lot of them the day before and looked over them a little bit before we were going to answer them. And one lady asked this question, and it's a common, one reason I bring it up, it's a common question. We've, we've heard it many, many times in healing school. And this, this lady, young lady said, uh, you know, I hear what you're saying, and I, back, I can see what you're saying in the Word and, and what have you. Jesus took our sicknesses and by stripes were healed and, and what have you. But... That tells you something immediately. Uh, but, you know, my aunt so-and-so was a good woman. Loved the Lord. I mean, a, a, a holy woman of God. Pure heart. Work for the Lord. Always in church. Give. Visit the sick. Give to the poor. Just love the Lord. Just, you, you know, it'd be hard to find a, a more godly woman. Just a wonderful woman. Beautiful woman of God. She got sick. We all prayed that she'd be healed. She prayed to be healed. Try, you know, uh, and, and, and she died. I can't understand that, you know. She's such a good woman. If anybody should have been healed, you know, you'd have think she, she should have been healed. While I was there, I'll never, never forget it. I was there in somebody's home, in the middle of the floor with these pieces of paper scattered around me, kind of reading them, kind of praying, you see, just kind of looking at some things, what the Lord had had me say that next day. And the Lord spoke to my heart distinctly. I don't mean I heard an audible voice now, just inside me, just by the witness of the Spirit. The Lord asked me a question, and this was the question. He said to me, what does her being a good woman have to do with her being healed? You know what the answer to that is? Nothing. Nothing. Well, some of you got quiet, quiet on me on that. Well, let me let me ask you this. We could say, well, you know, Mister So and So is a businessman in town. He's one of the finest moral men you'd ever want to meet in your life. Never cheated on his wife. Never lied. Never stole. Just a man of tremendous integrity. But he never received Jesus. He died and was, was lost. Well, see, what does being a good moral person have to do with whether you're saved or whether you're lost? What's the answer? Nothing. You're not saved by good works. 
And you're not healed by good works. You're saved by grace. Grace through faith. You're healed how? By grace through faith. What does the, what do them being a good person have to do with them being healed? Thank God if they're a good person, they'll be rewarded for their good works. But if you come to the Lord to be healed based on how good of a person you've been, you'll leave without. Because that's pride. Did you hear me? Brother Hagin said on one occasion, he was teaching and preaching in a certain place, and uh, this lady came up to him after the service, and this, this man had just one of the biggest sinners in the community. I mean, he had lied, stole, he made whiskey, I mean, he was involved in prostitution, there was rumor that he had maybe hurt some people badly, maybe killed some people, I mean, he one of the biggest outlaws, everybody knew it. He came to church during that revival. He came, fell across the altar and got saved, got filled with the Spirit, and got healed of a problem in his body. And one of the older saints came up after the service. And there's a woman, she came to Brother Hagin. She said, I wish you'd tell me something, please. He said, well, well, I will if I can. She said, that fellow that came down here. Yeah. You know, we all know what a, what a rascal he is. We all know how he's lived, what he's done. And then he comes in here and falls across the altar and cries a little bit. God heals him and fills him with the Holy Ghost. And she said, and I have been sick with this certain problem for X amount of years, long time. And have prayed and prayed. And you can ask anybody in the church, I'm I'm the best Christian in this church. We know one area she's lacking in. (laughs) Humility. And why won't the Lord heal me? Well, see, she's comparing and bringing up her good works in talking about her being healed. What do her good works have to do with her being healed? Nothing, 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 nothing. See, if you want to be healed, you've got to come drape yourself over the altar just like the rascal. <laughs> and say, God, I'm not coming claiming I deserve this or that or merit anything because of my works or can't have it because of my lack of works. I'm coming because of what Jesus has done for me. He took my infirmities. He bore my sicknesses. And because of what he's done, I come to receive. You have to humble yourself, you see, and receive based on his work, not on your merit. You understand? Can you see there's such a tremendous connection between humility and healing? And really humility humility and receiving any blessing from God. But you can see it so clearly in these areas if you you look at the scriptures. Now, in in teaching healing for years, you know, it's amazing how many folk are mixed up and confused about Job. I mean, there are places in the world you can go, and they never even heard about Jesus' stripes, but they know about Job's boils and Paul's thorn. (laughs) And there's a whole 
of folk, you know, bless their hearts. They've got more faith in Job's boils and Paul's thorn than they do in Jesus' stripes. Sad. Sad but true. But you know, people, you know, read the book of Job and they just do not get what it's saying at all. The devil prays and plays on people's ignorance. And folk come away bewildered and confused. And he plays on that and gets them to believing lies that rob them, rob good people of their faith. And therefore keep them in bondage. The, the book of Job had just drawn me like a moth to a flame from the time I was just a boy. I've read it and read it and read it and read it and studied it and read it and read it and studied it. And just scratched my head for years about certain things. But then thank God in more recent time I've gotten light. Amen. And I want you to listen very carefully today. I don't want you to listen through Baptist ears. Or through Pentecostal ears. Or through Catholic or Lutheran ears. Or through charismatic ears. That may be a little harder for you. Did you hear me? Let's just endeavor to look and listen what it says. Can you say amen? First of all, see, people read through the book of Job and they miss the whole point. They miss the whole point. They believe lies. They're confused. They see 42 chapters of pain, strain, and I guess I'm like poor old Job. It's not God's will to heal me. I've had people tell me, well, I I guess, Brother Keith, I'm just like Job. I say, well, praise God. (laughs) Praise God. Yeah, Job got healed. You You read the book, didn't you? Well, I guess I'm like poor old Job. Well, rejoice. Job got healed and got twice as much as what he had before. How do people read the thing and miss the punchline? Man, that's, that's the climax. That's, that's the, that's the punchline of the book. The man gets healed. He gets twice as much as what he had. Somebody talked about poor old Job. I heard somebody that calculated his assets. By today's standard, Job would be a multi-billionaire. Billionaire. Billionaire. So don't say poor old Joe. <laughs> and historians tell us that the trials that Job went through, they were terrible. They were severe. But the trials that he went through, historians tell us that they probably lasted less than a year. I don't know exactly what criteria they're going by, but the implication and the suggestion is we're not to think that Job lived like this most of his life at all. Job had great prosperity and great blessing for years before this happened. And then for years after this happened, this was a hard attack for, you know, several months at least in his life. But praise God, he made the adjustments. He came out. He was healed. He got blessed. And they all lived happily ever after. But that's not what folk get out of it, is it? Well... I want you to go back with me to the book of Job. And I want us to look at some things here because humility played a big factor in Job's healing, whether you've seen it and realized it or not. And we're going to talk about it for a few moments. And I trust God that you'll be able to see some things, understand some things. This book of Job begins by giving us a commentary about the man 
how that he was such a good man. He was an upright man. You look in the first chapter here, first verse. He was perfect, upright, feared God, eschewed or shunned evil. Then it talks about how blessed he was. You know, the name Job means hated. Hated. If you look it up in the Hebrew, it means hated. Well, who hated Job? (laughs) The devil hated Job. Why, you know, why did the devil hate Job? Well, he was righteous. The devil hates anybody that's righteous and that lives right. But what made the devil even all the more bugged by Job was the fact that not only was he a, a man that loved God and feared God and, and was upright and walked right and lived right, but he was a multi-billionaire that lived right. <laughs> now that just, boy, that bugs the devil. I mean, you know. Because, I mean, money is clout in the world system. Job was a big man in the community. You understand? And when he went to the city gates and the council, he sat down. And you can read where it said that when he walked up, the people quit talking. They said, oh, that's Mr. Job. That's Mr. Job. Mr. Job. And he'd come and he'd sit down. And he would always speak for righteousness and purity. And godliness. And it just bugged the devil every day. Because there's a man with money, with clout, and righteous. Why don't you bug the devil? Be, walk in your right. We know we're righteous by faith in Christ Jesus. But there's also an aspect of walking righteously. Amen? And living uprightly among others. And then believe in God so that you prosper. Amen. Praise God. Anyway, though, I think a lot of times people misunderstand. When they read this verse and they see that it says Job was perfect, they immediately assume that Job always did everything right and never made any mistakes. There's never been a human being who lived. Who who didn't sin with the exception of Jesus Christ. Job made mistakes. I want you to, to uh, go over real quickly with me to the end of the book. We're, we're at the beginning of the book. Go to the end of the book, the 42nd chapter. And right before Job's breakthrough came, notice in verse 6 of chapter 42. Right before his breakthrough occurred, verse 6, what did Job, this is Job speaking. Notice what he said. He said, wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. And just a few verses later, verse 10, the Lord turned the captivity of Job. Do you see when a breakthrough came for Job? When what? He repented. Well, you've got to humble yourself to repent, right? Well, you don't need to repent, though, unless you missed it. Hmm? You don't need to repent. Why, why would he need to repent? Now, I said don't listen through charismatic ears or Pentecostal ears or Baptist ears, all right? Why would Job need to repent? Why would you need to repent? Because you missed it, right? Did Job miss it? Yeah. 
Somebody said, well, yeah, he got into fear, and that, that's where he missed it. Well, that's just part of it. I said, that's just part of it. A lot of times folk don't back up and look at the, look at the whole picture. Yeah, he got in fear. And he said, the thing I greatly feared has come upon me. But why was he afraid? There are reasons for all things, you see. And there's a lot more to it than, you know, I think this casual reader gets. What's Job repenting about? Don't just jump to conclusions here. We're going to take some time. We're going to look at some verses. But you know he repented. And we know that he, he is repentant because he said, I abhor myself. You ever felt like that when you repented? Hmm? Well, how would, how would we perhaps say something like this today? Huh? Have, have you ever blown it and been dumb and said dumb things and did dumb things and then you saw it? And, 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 and what do you say or what do you do? You go, oh, oh man, dummy, jeez. Oh, God, I feel so stupid. Lord, I've been dumb. I've been ignorant. Forgive me. I abhor myself. Well, now, what did Job do? What did he say? It caused him, when it's all said and done, to feel this way and talk this way. Well, first of all, when these calamities happen, and I'm not going to go into all the details about it. Man, you can teach on this for a month. But uh, when it first began, the Bible said Job didn't sin with his mouth. You can say what you want to, but the Bible said he didn't sin with his mouth. He didn't mess up. In this first and second chapter, it took you good reports about him. But in the third chapter, verse 1, it says, After this, opened Job his mouth and cursed his day. And basically, throughout this whole third chapter, Job is saying, why? 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 Why did this happen? Why me? Why? 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 That's the beginning of him getting off. Did you hear me? Watch out for that. You're not going to profit yourself by sitting around going, why? Why me? Why did this happen to me? What did I ever do to deserve this? Let me say something might be real surprising to you. And folks say, well, why me? Well, maybe you'd prefer it if it was me. <laughs> well, what did I ever do to deserve this? You know what the answer to that is? Plenty. In fact, if you got what you deserved, you have sinned. You have come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. If you got all that you deserved, you would be sick, impoverished, mentally tormented, all of your short, miserable life. And you'd die prematurely and go to hell and spend eternity there if you got what you deserved. And me too. So let's not talk about what we deserve. Let's talk about grace and mercy. Amen. <laughs> See, pride is expressed in these, in these ways, isn't it? 
A lot of times folks don't even realize, but man, it's pride talking. Why me? What'd I ever do? You got a lot of times you come back to that P word again. See? Pride. Well, Job went on and on about why. Well, Job's three friends had come and they had done well to begin with. They just sat down and they just in silence mourned with him for days. And you know, a lot of times, you know, sometimes people get too preachy when people uh, are, are, are sorrowing, you know, like especially if somebody's lost a loved one or something, you know. Folk come around, they want to preach and talk scriptures and do a, a lot of times it's not time for that. It's time to just sit down and just let people know you're there. Just let them know you love them. Let them know you care. A lot of times you don't need to say anything. A lot of times when you start talking, you cause problems. Job's three friends did. They did great as long as they just sat there and were with him. Let him know they came because they cared. Then when they started theorizing, sermonizing, they had problems. And they got in trouble with God. Are you listening? Job, we just got through reading there in that same verse that said Job had to pray for them. God had to forgive them. We're going to talk about in just a few minutes what they did and why they had to repent. But anyway, if you keep reading through the scriptures here, we see that Job's saying why, why, why. But I want you to notice that Job begins to talk a particular thing. And we have quoted a verse for years, and if you go over to the 13th chapter, we'll look at this verse that we've quoted for years, but people only quote half of it. And they really miss the whole thought. In Job 13.15, Job had said this, Job 13.15, he said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. And folks, Preach from that, quote that, and what have you. But that's just half of the verse. What's the rest of the verse say? But I will maintain my own ways before him. Now the Hebrew there for maintain, in the, I, got, I got it in here in the margin of my Bible. Yours may have the same thing. It says, I will prove or argue my own ways before him. You think that's good or bad? <laughs> that's not good. Uh, you'll find that from, from you know, the point where Job's three friends started discussing with him, they argued bitterly for chapter after chapter after chapter about this ordeal. They argued bitterly. And you'll find, as we're going to see it, Job was ready to argue with God. Are you listening? I'm going to prove it to you with several verses. But I'm saying this preliminary statement that arguing and being argumentative is another manifestation of that P word. Pride. Being argumentative is a manifestation of pride. Do you like to argue? <laughs> Somebody said not now. <laughs> Over in Proverbs, I believe it's the 13th chapter and the 10th verse. I could be wrong on that. You don't have to turn there. Proverbs 13, 10, I think it is. It says, only by pride comes contention. 
How does, how, how does contention come about? Only by pride. Arguing. Fussing. Arguing. Arguing. Contention. See, if the Lord begins to share something with us and we argue with it, what is that evidence of? Ugly, stinking pride. Right? Like we saw the Syrophoenician woman. When he said that strong statement, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. A lot of folk would have done what with that? They'd have argued with that. Is that right? What would she say? Truth, Lord. No argue. Do you understand that when you and the Lord disagree, He is always right? Always. Is that right? I mean, every time. There, there will never be an instance, never, where the Lord will come to you and say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. That has never happened. That will never happen. Because he's never wrong. So there's the conclusion you could come to immediately and quickly. If you and he disagree, you immediately assume that you're wrong. When you see that you disagree with him, you just know you're wrong. Right? If I disagree with him, I'm wrong. But now see, Job got bitter about this attack and trial. I know he did. The scripture said he did. Look over with me in the 7th chapter, in the 11th verse. Now you may not have heard this preachers like this. I don't know, but that's why I told you. Don't listen through traditional ears. Just, just look at the scripture. Don't take my word for it either. See what the scriptures say. 7, 11. Job is talking here. Notice what he said. Job said, Therefore I will not refrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. And we've already talked about complaining this week too, haven't we? That's a manifestation of the P word. Complaining and griping. And do you see that he's gotten bitter over it? He's gotten bitter over this thing. Over what's happened to him. And he's had a lot happen to him. We're not belittling that. Dear Lord, he has. Loss of his wealth, loss of his children, loss of his health. I mean, he's been, I mean, the devil hit him hard. We're talking serious problems here. But friend, if you get bitter, that's the way to go down. That's the way to perish in your affliction. You mustn't let bitterness take a root in you. If you want to overcome, if you want to triumph, you can't let it. Job was able to overcome his and repent. And that's how he got healed and came out. But he had it. And I tell you the thing he was bitter over. He was bitter at God. Because God had allowed this to happen. God didn't do it. But he allowed it. Now, here's something a lot of folks don't understand. Just because God allows something, that doesn't mean it pleases Him. And it doesn't mean it's His will. God allows a lot of things that are expressly not His will. But Job got bitter at God. Now see, Job's three friends came 
And they begin to try to talk to him. See, after chapter 3, when he said, why, why, why has this happened to me? Why? Why is a man born to see days like this? Why was, I wish I wasn't even born. I wish I'd have died in my mother's womb. I wish I'd have been born stillbirth. I wish, see, I wish, why? I wish, why? Don't talk like that. Did you hear me? Why did this happen to me? I just wish this. Well, wishing and whying will get you nowhere but down. And his three friends then begin to speak up to answer his questions for him. When they didn't know the answer to them. But they're going to talk for chapter after chapter anyway. Because <laughs> they know some scriptures and they know some things. And they're going to quote this and that proverb and this and that. Th- Friend, just because you know some things in your head doesn't mean you got anything to say. You need to go by the unction of the Spirit. You can know a lot of principles. You can know a lot of steps to this and that. You can know a lot of things, but that doesn't mean you ought to say anything. You need to go by how God leads you in your heart. If you're prompted to say something, if you've got some unction to say something, and you, if you can say it, the truth in love. Job's three friends missed it on this part. And what they begin to say to him, in essence, I'm going to paraphrase, because we're talking about chapters of material here. They said, in essence, they said to him, Job, you see, friend, you have missed it. You have sinned. Because these things are curses. I'm paraphrasing, you understand? I'm just summing some things up together. All of their conversations. Job, the curse causeless doesn't come. And the curse is a result of disobedience. It comes on the disobedient. And you sure got some curses, so you got to be disobedient. You have sinned. You have missed it. And so now you just need to acknowledge your sin and repent and God will heal you and take care of you if you will. But Job didn't like that at all. Job said, I have not sinned. I have not missed it anywhere. I am righteous. And in fact, he went further than that, my friend. Way further. He said, I wish God would talk to me personally. Because I would argue my case with him. He has deprived me of justice. In essence, he said, God's been unfair to me. God has deprived me of my rights. He accused God of being unfair and of letting these things happen where when he was perfect and had not missed it in any way, shape, or form. I don't know whether you've seen that or not, but it's there. Very plain and clear to folk that will look and read. Let me read a couple of verses to you. Here's another manifestation of pride. Self-righteousness. Job said this. In Job 23, 3, I'll just read these. You don't necessarily have to turn to them. If you don't, you know, I'll just read some of them quickly. Job 23, 3, he said, Oh, that I knew where I could find him. I'd come even to his seat. <laughs> I mean, he, he's talking... He said, I would order my cause before him, in verse 4, and I would fill my mouth with arguments. Oh, he wants to argue with God. Oh, yeah. Now, let me say this. I think you can see very readily that arguing with God is pride. But did you know that a lot of times people are arguing with God? 
And they don't think they're arguing with God. They don't think they're, they don't realize at all. They think they're just arguing with that preacher. Are they just arguing with this one or that one? You know, the Lord sent Jeremiah the prophet to uh, King Zedekiah over in Second Chronicles 36. You don't have to turn there. but Anyway, the Bible said Zedekiah humbled not himself before Jeremiah the prophet who spoke to him from the mouth of the Lord. Did you hear that? The Lord sent Jeremiah to talk to him. And he did. And Jeremiah wasn't speaking to him from his own head or his own words. But Zedekiah didn't hear it like it was from the Lord. And he didn't humble himself before Jeremiah, who was speaking to him from the mouth of the Lord. You know, the Lord Jesus said, in fact, go with me uh, to Matthew real quickly. Hold your place there in Job. Go with me to Matthew, the 10th chapter. Y'all getting anything out of this today? Good, good, good. Tenth chapter. I'm doing my best. Tenth chapter and the fortieth verse. It says this. He that receives you, receives me. He that receives me, receives him that sent me. Did you know all those Jews and all those people that crucified Jesus, they were confident that they knew God and had God. They are proud of it. Proud of the fact that they knew the scriptures. But in crucifying the Lord Jesus, they completely rejected God the Father. Because if you didn't receive the one he sent, you don't receive him. Jesus sure made this a lot broader. He said, if you don't receive the one I sent, you don't receive me. And if you don't receive me, you don't receive the one that sent me. You know, throughout the uh, scriptures in the Old Testament with the Israelites and their travels after God brought them out of Egypt, again and again, you see them murmuring and griping and complaining against Moses and Aaron. I don't mean once or twice. Many times. And did you know that again and again when they would do that, go back and study it. Again and again when they would murmur and gripe about Moses this and Moses that, and they, who do they think they are? They don't have a right to say what they're saying. What do they think they get off telling us that? gripe against Moses and Aaron, the Lord would speak up to Moses and says, I hear these people's murmurings, which they murmur against me. He took it personally, and yet they weren't calling his name. They thought they were talking against Moses and Aaron. We need to make some adjustments, perhaps, in the way we think. You know, when Saul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, what did he tell him? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my Christians? No. Uh-uh. Why are you doing this to me? You know? Jesus gave a, an illustration. He said in the last day, it would be like this, that he would say to this one or that one, you know, you did this for me, and others, you didn't do this for me. And they say, when did we not do that for you, Lord? We never saw you hungry. We never saw you in jail. We never saw... He said, inasmuch as you didn't do it to these, you didn't do it to me. If you did it for them, you did it for me. If you receive whom he sends, you receive him. There are many people, my friend, many people who are deceived. They think they reverence God. They, in their mind, they think, well, I honor the Lord. I receive Him. I respect Him. But they show they don't by the way they treat His. By the way they treat His ministers. By the way they treat His people in general. 
Because your respect for God, my friend, is shown in your respect for who He sends and His ministers and His people. Now, I realize that some folk have taken some of these truths and they've gone off with them and some ministers have lifted themselves up to be virtual God, you know, and played God in people's life and that's wrong and there's been damage done there and I know that, but that doesn't change this truth I'm talking about. It's amazing people seem to get in the ditch on one side or the other, you see. They either treat somebody like they're Jesus Himself or they give people no respect. We've got to get in the middle of the road on these things. You know, many folk haven't realized it, but the Lord sent people to them. He talked to them through people, talked to them through a message, through a situation, through a sermon, through a conversation. And they argued with that person. They rejected that and they didn't realize it, that their pride is arguing with God because God was really the one who's talking to them through that. Amen. Well, when you get hot on the collar and you get twisted and bent and argumentative and fussing, you better stop and look. You may be looking at a person and thinking, I just got a problem with them. I just don't like them. But it may be some of the things you think you don't like about them are things that God is trying to say to you. And you're hardening your heart against him in pride. You understand what I'm saying? We need to watch these things carefully. Don't harden yourself and not be teachable and not be correctable. It'll cost you dearly. Cost you severely. He said, He that receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. He that receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. Whoever shall give a drink of, uh, unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water only in the name of a disciple, verily I say to you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. He's talking about showing respect, isn't he? You know, I learned this. Brother Hagin stands in the office of a prophet. I don't know if you knew that or not. But I've seen this. I've seen him go to places. And I've been with him in crusades before. Been involved with him in crusades before. And I've seen people to places where he go. They receive him as a teacher. Only. You know what reward they get? Teacher reward. Only. And then I've seen people that received him as a prophet. Then what they get? Prophet's reward. You understand? Paul said to the saints at Thessalonica, he said, when I came to you, he, 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 talked, he talked about how he was thanking God and rejoicing, because when you received the word which you heard of me, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh in you that believe. Now, I'm not trying to tell you to just swallow everything that everybody says because people can say their own ideas. And you've got a Bible and you've got the Holy Spirit and you can judge things. But friend, God, does God speak through our ministry gifts or not? Does God speak through teaching and preaching, through prophecy? Does He speak through these things or not? If He does, we better listen. We better watch about being argumentative. Amen. Lest we find ourselves arguing with God Himself. Amen. Job got angry with God. Job argued with God. He said, I want to find him. He said, I'd argue my cause with him. Over in the 27th chapter of Job. In the 27th chapter of Job. Job said in, in 27 too, he said, as God, he said, God lives as is added. It's in italics. God lives who has taken away my judgment. 27 too. The Almighty has vexed my soul. 
I mean, in other portion of Scripture, Job had said this. He said, it's not because I've sinned. I refuse to acknowledge that I have missed it anywhere. God just distributes sorrows indiscriminately. He just does things. Nobody knows why, and it's not, I, but I have not missed it. And he said, I wish he would talk to me. Because I would argue my case before him. I would say, where did I miss it? Show me where I missed it. How many would say that's a bad attitude? <laughs> now, you got to remind yourself, the guy is going through a rough time. Okay? He is. we we got to remind ourselves of that. He's going through a bad time. But still, that's no excuse. It helps you to understand where folk are coming from, but it's no excuse. And man, it is not the answer. It's the way to perish. But you know, this goes on chapter after chapter after chapter. But when you get to verse 32, you start getting some answers. God spoke through a young man by the name of Elihu here. I don't know whether you knew that or not, but he did. Elihu spoke by inspiration. He spoke from God. And then God just kept on saying some of the same things in just a moment here, himself personally. But notice in verse 1. So these three men, Job's friends, ceased to answer Job. They finally just gave up talking to him. Because, why? He was righteous in his own eyes. Are you getting a clearer picture of why Job had to repent? And verse 2, Then was kindled the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite, of the kindred of Ram. Now notice, who was right? Job or his three friends? Against Job was his wrath kindled because he justified himself rather than God. Job was wrong. Also, against his three friends was his wrath kindled because they had found no answer and yet had condemned Job. Job's three friends missed it too. Who was right? Job or his three friends? They were both wrong. I said they were both wrong. Now, if you look at all the statements, they both said some things that had some truth in them here and there, but overall, their attitudes and approaches, both of them were wrong. And uh, Elihu waited until Job had spoken because they were older than him. And when he saw that there was no answer in the mouth, uh, he, he got angry, he got stirred up, and he began to speak. And he said a lot of things. We'll, we'll look in just a moment at what he said. But it, it kind of sums up some of it over here in the uh, 33rd chapter, verse 12. Hold on just a minute, you'll get some of these things. In the 33rd chapter, the 12th verse, he said, Behold, in this you are not just. I will answer you that God is greater than man. Why do you strive against him? He giveth not account of any of his matters. God speaketh once, yea, twice, yet man perceiveth it not. Now see, we just got through reading in Matthew about people being dull and not getting it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falleth upon men and slumberings upon the bed, then he openeth the ears of men and sealeth their instruction, that he may withdraw man from his purpose and hide pride from man. See, he said God talks to people, but they don't get it. Oh, Lord. He talks to people through the Scripture. He talks to people through messages. He talks to people in their heart. Sometimes even through dreams in the nighttime. But a lot, still, a lot of times folk don't get it. 
I've had folk tell me dreams they had. And then tell me what they got out of it. And I thought to myself, you didn't get it. <laughs> and a lot of dreams that folk had, they should just forget. It didn't mean anything anyway. They're trying to make something out of nothing. But you know what I'm saying. I mean, you know, you can, you can hear messages, you can see things, and still get your own goofy interpretation of what God said to you and still miss it. But verse 18, he's wanting, what's he wanting to do? He wants to keep, his, keep back his soul from the pit and his life from perishing by the sword. Goes on, he's chastened with pain upon his bed, multitude of his bones with strong pain. His life abhors bread, his soul dainty meat. His flesh is consumed away that it cannot be seen. His bones that were not seen stick out. His soul draws near to the grave, his life to the destroyers. He's definitely talking about being sick and diseased, right? But notice... If there be a messenger with him, an interpreter, one among a thousand, in other words, they're not plentiful, to show unto man his, talking about God's uprightness. To show people God's uprightness. Then he is gracious to him, God is gracious to him, and says, deliver him from going down to the pit, I have found a ransom. Or as the margin says, atonement. His flesh shall be fresher than a child's. He shall return to the days of his youth. He'll pray to God. He'll be favorable to him. He'll see his face with joy. He'll render to a man his righteousness. He looks upon men. And if any say, I have sinned and perverted that which was right, and it profited me not. See, repentance. He will deliver his soul from going into the pit. His life shall see the light. Lo, all these things worketh God oftentimes with man to bring back his soul from the pit, to be enlightened with the light of the living. A lot of things there, whether you see them or not. Over in the 34th chapter, he told him. 34, verse 5, Job has said, I'm righteous, and God's taken away my judgment. Verse 9, Job had also said, it's pro it profits a man nothing that he should delight himself with God. See, Job had said, it didn't do a man any good to live right. Look at me. I live right, and look what happened to me. Are you seeing clear why Job had to repent? Verse 10, he said, Hearken to me, you men of understanding, far be it from God that he should do wickedness, and from the Almighty that he should commit iniquity. Verse 12, Yea, surely God will not do wickedly, neither will the Almighty pervert judgment. How many believe that? Notice in verse 31, what he told Job, and boy, this is some of the best advice you'll ever hear. 34, 31, surely it's meet to be said to God. This is what you ought to say to the Lord. I have borne chastisement. I will not offend any more. That which I see not, teach thou me. And if I have done iniquity, I will do no more. Yeah, Job, maybe you have lived a good life. Maybe you have done a lot of things right. But don't stand up in the face of God and accuse Him of being wrong and accuse Him of perverting justice against you. You better humble yourself before the Lord and say, Lord, if I have missed it, show me. Now, I may not see anything that I've missed, but man, I don't know everything. That which I see not, show me. Teach me. And if I've missed it, I'll repent. I'll make the change. Friend, always have that attitude. Somebody says, well, I don't know anywhere I missed it. Well, that doesn't mean everything. You understand what I'm saying? 
Get before God. Humble your heart. Sometimes it's not a matter that you need to confess some great big dark sin that you've committed. Sometimes it's just a matter of ignorance. Some things you don't know that you need to know. Some things you need to do that you didn't realize. Some things you let slip and forgotten. Need to make some adjustments. But you need to be taught. Now after Elihu got through talking to Job, God himself granted Job's request. Verse 1, the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, and he said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now your loins like a man, for I will demand of you and answer me. Now see, these are some of the words that Job had used. And God, in so many words, is saying, All right, you want an audience with me? You want to argue with me? Here I am. But i got a few questions for you before we go any further. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? <laughs> and that sets the tone of this next conversation. <laughs> he asked Job question after question. Where were you? Do you know? Do you understand? Where were you? How does this work? How does this happen? Do you know that Job's, what Job's answer to every one of those was? I don't know. 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 I mean, for minute after minute, that's all Job could think. I don't know. I don't know. Notice in verse 18. The Lord asked Job, Have you perceived the breadth of the earth? Declare if you know it all. In the 40th chapter, I mean, this is a lot of verses later. I mean, the Lord didn't give him a break. I mean, question after question after question. Where were you? How does this work? Do you know? Now, Job asked for it. Job talked some tough things. He said some... Wrong things? In the 40th chapter, the Lord answered Job and he said, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproves God, let him answer it. You're going to straighten me out, Job, I hear. (laughs) Who's this that's going to teach me and instruct me? Speak up! Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I lay my hand on my mouth. Once I've spoken, uh, but I'll not answer. Yea, twice, but I proceed no further. (laughs) What is this? What is this? Humility. Now, it took a whirlwind. And it took some, some questions. And it took the real presence of God. But Job's humbling himself, isn't he? Can you see it, friend? Verse uh, 6, Then answered the Lord unto Job out of the whirlwind. I mean, he, he's, he, he's not through with him yet. He said, Gird up your loins now like a man. I will demand of you and declare you unto me. Will you disannul my judgment? Will you condemn me that you may be righteous? And that's what Job had done. Then he got some more questions for him. Do you have an arm like God? Can you thunder with a voice like Him? Deck yourself with majesty and excellency. Array yourself with glory and beauty. Let's see you do it. Oh yeah, 
You're big enough to accuse me of doing wrong. You're big enough to challenge my judgments. You're big enough to, to instruct me and teach me about how I should pass judgments. But you can't answer any of these questions. You can't do any of these things. You don't know any of these things. And yet you're superbly qualified to critique God. He went on and on, verse after verse. And finally in the 42nd chapter, as we've already seen, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything, and no thought can be withholding from you. You heard my whole conversation. Who is he that hides counsel without knowledge? You asked asked that question. Therefore have I uttered that I understood not. Things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I'll speak. I'll demand of you, and declare thou unto me. See, that's what Job had said. That's what God had said back to I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. In other words, forgive me, God. Forgive me. Forgive me. You know, people quander and deliberate about why God let the enemy do what he did to Job. You can go on and on and on about that. But there's a bigger issue here than that. took me years to see it. But I'm seeing it clear. Somebody said, what's the bigger issue? The bigger issue is, how do you talk and what do you do when you don't know why? Are you listening? Because there will be situations where you don't know why. You don't understand. And if at times like that, you immediately begin to question God accusatively. Why, God? Why? It's not right. It's not fair. Then you're right in Job's category. Because there's an accusative tone in that voice. God, this is not right. This is not fair. You're accusing God of being unjust, unfair, not coming through for you, failing you, letting you down. You're accusing and casting a shadow on his character. Friend, there'll be times and situations in life where you don't, you don't understand. You don't know why. But friend, I'm telling you something that will get you through some tough places in your life. In the midst of it all, just look up and say, God, you're good. And your mercy endures forever. And your judgments are righteous and perfect. And you're fair. And that which I see not teach me. That which I've not understood, show me. And if I've missed it, if I've thought wrong, it's entirely possible that I have. If I've thought wrong, if I've made mistakes, even if I hadn't previously seen it, please show me. And when I see it, I'll change. What is that? That's humility. And we see when Job humbled himself, when he made those kind of statements, when he repented just a few verses later, The Lord turned the captivity of Job. Gave him twice as much as what he had. Can you say amen? Amen. Can you see a connection between healing and humility? This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website 
at morelife.org.